Our scripture reading now is from the New Testament. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll read from verses 1 to 10. We'll see in this passage, especially the last part of the reading, verses 8 to 10, we'll see that in close relation to the theme of Lord's Day 24. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning our reading at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus." For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that concludes the reading of God's holy word. We'll sing now from Psalm 19 and stanzas 1, 5, and 6. 1, 5, and 6 of Psalm 19.
please turn in the back of the book of praise to Lord's Day 24. We'll read that now. Lord's Day 24. And that's found on page 538 at the back, past the songs. First beginning our reading at uh, question 62, it asks, But why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? And it answers, Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. Whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. But do our good works earn nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? This reward is not earned, it is a gift of grace. Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? No, it is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. And that ends a reading of our confession of faith. After the message, we'll be singing from, from a hymn 84. Hymn 84 stands as 1 to 4. Well, again, as I mentioned, we'll be seeing this in light of, uh, of Ephesians 2 and verses 8 to 10, which we read from earlier Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord's Day 23 summarizes how we're saved by faith in Christ. Really, it is the essence of the gospel. Though our consciences may accuse us and Satan may find fault in us, God declares his word to us that we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. We, uh, we are, as Martin Luther put it in, in the Latin, simul iustis et peccator. Simul iustis et peccator. We are simultaneously justified or saved, but at the same time, sinners. Catechism powerfully, remind, powerfully reminds us that even though we feel the sting of conscience and battle against indwelling sin, we're made right with God. He justifies the ungodly. We're also given something called an alien righteousness. We're given an alien righteousness. This is not a, an E.T. kind of spirituality. Uh, it is a righteousness that is outside of ourselves. We're justified because of the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ being credited to us. That's what justification is. Though I'm guilty and worthy of punishment for my sin, I'm justified before God. And it is just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. Well, the next Lord's Day leads us to the question about where good works fit in our lives, a topic that has been hotly debated. And basically, there are two 
extremes in reaction uh, to that question. One insisting that we're saved by good works, and another insisting that it's good enough just to have faith. Faith is enough. The Bible says, or both arguments of these are actually presented there. The Bible says that we can't be saved by good works, but neither can a believer in Christ have a life absent of good works. That answer is found in the passage in, with those two phrases, salvation is not of works, but we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so our hope this afternoon is to see the balance that we find in Scripture. So here then God's word as we see that in Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 10. And we look at this under the theme good works and with three different points. First of all, good works are inadequate. Secondly, necessary. And then thirdly, they are rewarded. So first of all, good works are inadequate. They are insufficient. Question 62 basically asks two questions. Why can't our good works be our righteousness before God? And why can't our good works be a portion of our righteousness before God? And you can understand what this is asking. Why can't our works, the whole or the part of them, be counted before God? The reason why our good works can't even be a part of our righteousness before God is because they need to be perfect. I could use an illustration of it. Think of uh, times that we have in, in school. Children, maybe you have this, or young people, you have... You want to form two teams and two people stand at the front and they start picking uh, people for their team. And as you're sitting there, you're hoping that you will be the one who, who is recognized for uh, your abilities. You're going to be picked because of uh, someone else thinking well of you. Be acknowledged as a good player for your team. What you didn't want was to be singled out just as a hindrance, to be the last one picked for the team. What's the same thought that arises in the human heart, in our relation to the Lord? What we want is to be acknowledged by God for the the good that we can contribute to our standing before Him. That we're not hindrances, but that we're we have in some way, uh, we're able to contribute to our salvation. But answer 62 clearly says that when we stand before the tribunal of God and his holy judgment, we have to have an absolute agreement to God's holy standards. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament teach that. Both Deuteronomy 27 and Galatians 3, verse 10, which are the proof texts or the references that we find for this Lord's Day. It says there, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. To be righteous before God on the basis of good works, you have to do continually everything 
that is written in the book of the law. Everything that God requires. You could never break a single commandment. That's something that we naturally forget. And to uh, give an illustration of that, uh, we could invite someone, an imaginary person, to the front of the church this afternoon, and his name, we'll call him Sir Rip. And Sir Rip is a, it's a short form for a um, self-righteous reform person. So he thinks he's a pretty good guy. He's a nice guy. He's friendly. He smiles a lot. He does a lot of good for the church. He goes to church twice. Relatively, he's, a, he's not a bad person. He thinks that he's a, a step above his bad neighbor because he doesn't do bad things. His sins aren't nearly as bad as someone else's. But Sir Rip is a bit disillusioned. He's, he's blinded to his problem. God is much bigger than he understands. And he's much more holy. He also doesn't realize that sin consists of more than doing bad things. Sin is also not making God our priority. And that's what we are sometimes like. We're sometimes like Sir Rip, a self-righteous reform person. We pat ourselves on the back and think we're good. Meanwhile, there's sin in our life. We're ungrateful. We complain. God gives us everything that we need. Breath, life, and shelter. Most people don't even thank him for these things. And we sometimes forget that as well. Does any one of us always act totally to the glory of God? Do we do everything with the purest of motives? Which of us make God a priority every moment of our lives? Even if we break one law, we read in the book of James, we are still lawbreakers. And so if you get pulled over by the police for speeding, they're not going to stop giving you a, a, a ticket because you don't have a criminal record. You see, we're naturally proud. Isn't there always within us a concern about ourselves or a reputation? God's Word tells us that even our best works in this life are imperfect and defiled with sin. Isaiah, 40, or Isaiah 64 verse 6 tells us what? It tells us that all our righteousness is like filthy rags. And our iniquity, like the wind, has been taken away. That's how Isaiah prayed before the Lord on behalf of his people. He made that confession of sin and told the Lord how much they depended on him for mercy. And that highlights what we have read this afternoon from Ephesians chapter 2. As Paul says there, For by grace you have been saved. 
And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. What is grace? Well, we could say that grace as an acronym is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. It's God's unmerited favor. And we need to be clear what we mean by that. Grace is God giving you a gift that you could never pay back. Grace is God giving you something good that you don't deserve. Notice how Paul speaks of it here. He he begins this chapter describing the real problem of sin. We read that. We're not sick in our sins. No, we're dead in our sins. We're dominated by Satan under his power and rule. He reigns in the sons of disobedience. Paul says that God has made the dead alive. That's how he wants us to understand grace. Since a dead man has no sense, he's unable to choose God. He's unable to do what God says. He cannot perform the commands of God perfectly. Grace is what changes him. What does grace do? Again, note the word there in verse 8. By grace you have been saved. We cannot add anything to God's grace. Nor can we cooperate with God to be saved from sin. So to get a handle on this Lord's Day congregation, we need to keep in mind the history of the church and the context within which this was written. The official position of the Roman Catholic Church on grace is different from the way we view it. The Church of Rome does not see grace as the power by which God declares us to be righteous because of the work of Christ, but rather it sees grace is as like a medicine that's dispensed. Grace, it is thought, will transform us internally and, mor- and morally. And so justification to them is a process. It's a process by which grace is imparted to us, and that comes in baptism. It's through the Mass. Or even our deeds, which are considered worthy by the church, can help. So grace is, is it's infused into us. That's what they believe. One can never say in a teaching like that, by grace you are saved. And that's how the, the people had been instructed by the Roman Catholic priests when the authors of the, the catechism wrote this for the, our instruction for the people who had been taught that they were able to make a contribution to being acceptable to God. Lord's Day 23 taught the people that they were righteous before God only through faith in Jesus Christ. In response to Rome, we see that Scripture doesn't promote a so-called progressive justification, but it's a declarative act By a just God. Rather than an infused righteousness, we have an imputed righteousness. It is given to us in our accounts. 
That's because God's grace is not set in cooperation with our will, but it is given completely and absolutely because we can do nothing to achieve our salvation. We're not just sick and need plenty of rest and then we'll be made better. No, we're dead in our sins. And the deepest reason why it's impossible for us to contribute to our salvation is clearly laid out in these verses. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. God had ordained salvation so that no human being can ever say in the very end of time, I did it. Lord, I did it myself. There must be something in me that has made me deserve to be your child. There can't be boasting. If it's grace, God's unmerited favor, we have to leave boasting out. Paul repeats that also in another place in God's word. Romans chapter 3. After describing how we're saved by grace through faith alone, he asks that question in, in uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 27. Where's boasting? It's excluded. Children, sometimes you might know someone who likes to boast, to brag about how athletic they are or how great the toy is that they have, which is so much better. According to 1 Corinthians 1, verses 30 and 31, the way that we boast as Christians is by glorying in the Lord. We, We can't save ourselves. We're saved by grace, by him saving us. And he uses faith, faith as a gift from him. And it's important that we understand that that nature of of biblical faith. When, When someone asks why God has given you eternal life, if you say, it's because I believe, that's not right either. It's not our faith that saves us. Faith is a gift. It's a gift given by God. To get back to that illustration of the the team getting picked for the team. The Lord doesn't work in that way. He doesn't choose us on the basis of our ability to say all the right things to people or because we're friendlier than other people. He chooses us on the basis of His holy will And his love. When it comes to salvation, we can do nothing to make the team. We're all hindrances to the Lord. He could do without us if he so choose. He doesn't need us. But as Paul so beautifully puts it in this chapter, in verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his Grace loved loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's a grace that should make us so thankful. So our good works can't be our righteousness before God. Not even even in the least. They're inadequate. 
brings us to our second point, which is that good works are necessary. Good works are necessary for the simple reason that if you should ever come to an apple tree in September and it's not bearing fruit, then it's, something's wrong with it. It's unhealthy and it needs to be cut down um, and made into firewood. Every tree brings forth fruit according to its nature. But of course, we need to see that apples on the tree are not what make that apple tree what it is. It's the other way around. The tree has been created as an apple tree and therefore it is able to produce fruit. We would never say that apples make it an apple tree. It's the fruit that makes it right. So the apostle has a very holistic view of faith and works. In verse 10, Paul focuses all salvation on God's work in our lives. But he points our attention to God's working in our lives rather than finding ourselves being the focus of attention. We're not the ones who make ourselves just through our good works. Rather, we are the trophies of God's grace. We're created for good works. And the the word here for workmanship is poema in in the Greek, meaning that which has been made. We don't make ourselves. We're made by God. We're created by Jesus Christ for good works. Why does God save us? Paul's clear that we're not saved by the means of our good works, but we're saved to do good, good works, which to do God's work, rather, which is good works. Good works are indispensable to our salvation. They're not the grounds or the means. Instead, they are the evidence of grace. Not even, note even that God prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. It's a very similar thought to what we find at the beginning of the book of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians 1 verse 4. When speaking of election, we were chosen before the foundation of the world that we should be what? That we should be holy and without blame before God. He describes God's work in saving us and then he'll get into the ethical. This is what Christianity is all about. It's God working in us so that we'll do what he commands of us. And just consider what that means. The same word that's used to describe the creation of the world is used here. We're God's creation. The majesty of great mountains, the the, the power of of a flash of lightning... And the sound of thunder. Also, we're amazed at the, you know, the, the, a little child, a baby that comes into the world. How human life is formed. The beauty of God's handiwork is found in creation. And this is saying that we too have been created. As we consider the wonder of what God has made, we need to remember that in Jesus Christ, we are a new creation. 
great as creation is, even in this fallen world, his greatest masterpiece is saving his people from their sins and creating a new humanity in his son, Jesus Christ. And we're to do good works for him. He, already, he had that already planned out even before we existed. And eternity passed. That's what we were made for. That was his plan. So how about us today? Are we known for our good works? Do our lips and our lives agree? Is our profession in Christ seen in our living? Can people see that we are the genuine article, that we are a bona fide believer in Jesus Christ because of our conduct? Are we known by our fruits? Jesus said, let your lights so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Is that true of us? What does this say to us about our, you know, our church attendance or our priorities that we make for church? It's true that going to church twice isn't going to save you. But it sure marks out your priority. It shows a, a devotion to the Lord. The elders have called two services on a Sunday. We're to make a point of doing that as much as we're able to do it. It's a necessary part of our thanks to God. And what about our, what about, what about our personal devotions? Do, do we pray regularly? Do we read the Bible ourselves? Not just family devotions, but in the privacy of our own home. Behind a closed door. It's also another fruit of our faith. It's a necessary part of our faith. So good works... Yes, they're inadequate, but they're necessary. They're necessary because they show that we indeed are God's children. That's what the Word of God teaches. Well, that leads us to our last point, and that is that our good works are rewarded. The question that arises is, if we can't save ourselves and we're still called to do good works, what effect, what effect do these good works have? Question 63 asks, but do our good works earn nothing even though God promises a reward for them in this life and the next? Indeed, scripture does teach that. This is a scriptural question and the Bible does say that God rewards those who do good. In the Sermon on the Mount, for example, after the Beatitudes, after the Lord told his disciples how they should live as, as his people, then he said, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And there are many other places in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that, that speak that way. Uh, Psalm 19, verse 11, moreover, by them your servant is warned, by, by, the, by the word of God, by the law, by the commandments. Your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is what? There is great reward. Surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is he who judges 
the earth. That's from Isaiah, or sorry, that's from Psalm 58, verse 11. Proverbs 25 says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For by so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. That's not from Proverbs, actually. That's from uh, Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verse 3. But when you do charitable deeds, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will, will reward you openly. The Apostle to the Hebrews says of God that he is the rewarder of all those who seek the Lord. That's from Hebrews 11 verse 6. And John on the island of Patmos hears Jesus pray like this, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. So God promises rewards. If you live in obedience to God, you can expect for God to reward you. But does that mean that there's a conflict between what the catechism is teaching and the Bible is seeing? What the Bible is saying? Do our good works then earn something after all? And the answer to that is no, they don't. Although God promises to reward those who begin to live according to the commandments of God, this reward, it's, it's not like brownie points. It's a gift of grace. Even if we did everything that the Lord commanded, which we could never do, even if we did that, we would have no right to expect a reward. We would only be doing our duty. Look at Luke 17 says that. So likewise, when you have done all these things, everything that the master commands, we're to say, we are unprofitable servants. We've done what was our duty to do. And yet God does promise a reward, but the reward is only by grace. That's why question 64 makes that point of asking, doesn't this teaching make people profane or godless? In other words, if I'm standing here today saying to teenagers that, Grace is a free gift given to you by the Lord freely. And if you believe that, are you going to be reckless with it? Or if you're listening to me today speak of God's grace in Jesus Christ, when, you're, when you sincerely believe the gospel, will you live an unholy life? Well, the answer is clear from both the catechism and from the passage that those who are implanted into Christ are made new creatures and have to show fruits of righteousness. God's purpose was to make us into people who would do the works that he has ordained for us. Verse 10 of Ephesians 2 says. And so the problem here is not grace. The problem here is not the preaching of the gospel of free grace. The problem is misunderstanding of grace and how it applies to
to our daily lives. Grace doesn't leave us off the hook. It doesn't say that devotions are an option or personal preference or that it doesn't matter what kind of material we read or what kind of movies we watch, that we can just watch anything without discretion, just do whatever we want. Nor does grace say that church attendance is, and worship is, a, is an option. The gospel of grace gives us freedom. Freedom not only from sin, but also freedom to do what the gospel demands, which is to obey the Lord. Paul says that we are God's workmanship to do good works, and there's to be an evidence of God's grace in our lives. If there's no evidence, then we have to do a a job of examining ourselves, as we're always called to do. Answer 64 says it's impossible that those who are implanted in Christ should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. It's what God has prepared for us. And what are those things that we're to do? Well, some of those things are found right within this Within the the book of Ephesians, if you think of what some of the things that it says there, especially towards the end of of the letter, Ephesians 4 verse 17 says that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, but walk in faith and, and with obedience to the Lord. Or verse 26 of Ephesians 4 says, be angry and do not sin and do not let The sun go down on your wrath, nor give place for the devil. Let no corrupt word come from your mouth, verse 29 of Ephesians 4. But that which is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And then we have Ephesians chapter 5, which speaks about what? It talks about marriage. What is a godly marriage to look like? Husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Ephesians 6 talks about children and parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Or, parents, do not provoke your children to anger. So, we're not let off the hook here. There's much for us to do. And we're to be busy doing that which we're called to do. And yet the way all these commands can be put into effect is not through any other way than by God's grace at work in our lives as we, in faith, place our hope and trust in Christ. So let us be fruitful Christians. Let's rejoice that God is working in us to bring forth from us the fruits of faith, which is love and obedience, and thankfulness to the Lord. Let's rejoice that God has promised to reward us for our good works, a reward that's solely based on his favor. But let us not depend on those works to be right with God. We are right with the Lord only through Christ. For our salvation is dependent on the obedience and sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, as that passage says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone 
should boast. Amen.